Let's pray. Lord Jesus, light of the world, open the eyes of our heart that we might see the glorious riches of Your grace and receive them for ourselves. We ask it in Your name. Amen. This week, um, I was reminded of a news story that I saw on the CBS Evening News about ten years ago. It was about a young man named Jason McElwain. I'll spell it uh, for you because you'll probably want to Google the story after the service. Um, His last name is spelled M-C-E-L-W-A-I-N. But if you Google autistic basketball player, you will likely find it easily enough. Uh, Jason uh, has autism. I presume he is still alive and still has autism. And he loves basketball. For two years, he served as the equipment manager for his high school basketball team. He was so dedicated that the coach decided to let him dress out for the final game of the season. And if the team was winning comfortably, uh, the coach would let him go into the game for a few minutes. It so happened that Jason got to play. And Jason uh, got the ball, and he shot a three-point shot. He missed the goal by six feet. Uh, He was not shy about shooting the ball, so he shot again. The next time, the ball hit the rim. And the coach, uh, it it was showing the video from the the game that a parent had taken, and then it cut away to the coach, and the coach uh, said, I was just hoping that he might be able to score a basket. Well, Jason, not being shy about shooting the ball, shot again. In basketball slang, we would say he had no conscience. Doesn't matter if he hits or whether he misses, he's going to shoot the ball. Well, his third shot, also a three-pointer, went in, and the crowd erupted. So, naturally, Jason kept shooting the basketball, kept shooting three-pointers. He hit six three-pointers in a row with a two-point basket mixed in. The news report was showing video from the game. And with every shot that he made, the, the crowd was just exploding. The bench, his, his teammates were just ex- were jumping up and down. And then it cut away from the game uh, to a portion of the interview with Jason. And Jason said, I caught fire. I, I was hot as a pistol. <laughs> he only played four minutes and scored 20 points. His last three-pointer was a split second before the the final buzzer. And he was carried off the the court uh, by his teammates on their shoulders. Jason was a kid that uh, was dearly loved by his parents. Clearly, he was very appreciated by the basketball team. But he felt different than than everyone else. Uh, Near the end of the story, the reporter noted how Jason was aware that, frankly, he was different than everybody else in his school. So it's just a great story of a young man who felt like he was on the outside, um, who felt like he was disadvantaged and different. 
and he got to succeed and receive recognition for his success. Jason McElwain reminds me in so many ways of a man we're going to meet this morning in our sermon. We encounter him in verse 1. So look at verse 1. As he, he being Jesus, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Here's what I think happened. Um, as, as Jesus and His disciples were walking by, I believe Jesus pointed to this man he, and He said, this man was born blind from birth. Presumably this man was sitting beside the, the road begging as, um, as those with disadvantages would do um, back then in that society. And Jesus had a, had a habit of going along and pointing out different things to the disciples in order to cause them to start thinking. And so they started thinking, they started talking, uh, a discussion broke out, and so His disciples asked Him in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is a very poor way of thinking about why things happen. It's a very legalistic way of thinking. The, the, the idea is, he must have done something which is kind of difficult to conceive of since he was born blind. Well, what did he do? Something wrong in his mother's womb? Or, his parents must have done something uh, the, the disciples are are thinking, and so that is the direction um, of their question. And they must have done something really bad in order for him to have been born blind. Let me ask you, are you tempted to think like that? If you or your loved ones have been dealt a difficult hand in life, or a physical disability, or if you've suffered an accident, well, then there must be some, some reason. You know, I, I must have done something bad for, for this to happen to my child or, or to, to my loved one. Or I must have done something really bad for this to happen to me. Um, and so you, the idea is you're being punished for God, by God for something, some sin earlier in life. Do you think like that? Let me tell you, that's stinking thinking. It's wrong. Let me prove to you that it's wrong. Because the flip side is, if this reasoning were correct, that, well, you must have done something wrong if, if, if something bad happened to you or one of your loved ones. Well, the flip side would be, if you're not suffering, then you haven't done anything wrong. If a sin caused suffering in your loved ones, well, then if your loved ones or yourself live in a pretty happy, contented life, well, then you must not be a sinner. Can you see this whole line of thinking is from, from the pit, from the pit of hell? And people organize their whole lives like this. And they walk around with guilt and they walk around waiting for God to lure the boom on them or thinking that God really doesn't love them as much because something bad has happened to them. It's wrong. And Jesus says it's wrong-headed to think like this. Look at verse 3. Here's how He answered His disciples. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, 
but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Physical deformities and such, accidents and such, are not because God is eager to to get us for things we've done earlier in life. Things happen, according to Jesus, because of the sovereign will of God. Jesus is saying that all of our deformities, our accidents, our sufferings, our pains, etc., that we or our loved ones um, suffer, they come from God and are for His ultimate glory. Do you remember Exodus 4? Do you remember how Moses argued with God about being chosen to deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt? Moses said, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Remember what the Lord said to Moses? The Lord said, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And the Lord says, I am the one who made man. I am the one who made each person who he or she is. Is that harsh? Is that harsh to say that God is responsible for physical limitations? Many, many Christians would respond to me by saying, uh, my God does not send suffering into people's lives. And I know they would respond because I've had many people uh, say that to me. My God does not send suffering into people's lives. <laughs> well, my response uh, has been and continues to be, well, that means that your God is not the God of the Bible. Because God says He is the one who makes man uh, a, a person mute or deaf or seeing or blind. You know what is really harsh? I believe it is harsh to tell someone that their circumstances are simply by chance or bad luck. Where's the hope in chance or bad luck? Or worse yet, I've heard Christians say things to the effect that God really did not want their child to be sick and He's heartbroken over it. If my child is sick, I want to hear about how big God is. I want to, to hear that God is sovereignly in control. I want to hear that God has planned my child's life from the beginning to the end. I want to hear that He has a plan for my child's sickness and that His plan is according to His goodness and His glory. I don't want to hear that God's sitting on the sidelines biting His nails in worry because He's powerless. That would be harsh to hear that. Jesus noticed this man who was born blind and He did something about it. He's not powerless. Look at verses 6 and 7. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now notice here, 
Jesus did not ask this man permission to rub uh, spit mud on his eyes. He did not ask the blind man if he would consent to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He did not make the blind man even exercise faith before he did this. He simply told him to do it. The man did it. And it says in verse 7, he came back seeing. God is sovereign. He's not only sovereign over our physical limitations, He is also sovereign over our healing and over the means that He will use to bring that healing about. I imagine uh, you are asking yourself why Jesus used the the spit spit mud and uh, the pool of Siloam. Uh, Many have suggested many theories. I don't think that there is any clear reason why Jesus used this particular method. Uh, We've seen other instances where Jesus used other methods. We've uh, We've seen instances where Jesus just said, be healed, and the person was healed. Um, Jesus could have healed the man without the spit mud. And I think here's the lesson for us. God uses different uh, methods to heal us. I've told you of uh, of an occasion where uh, a man that I had led to Christ in the first church that I was serving in uh, had a tumor. Uh, the doctor had taken x-rays of his tumor, had examined the tumor, had him come in for an operation, and uh, I took, took him uh, to the operation and uh, prayed with him. In fact, he asked me not to pray for his healing. He said, don't pray for my healing, but pray that if it's cancerous and it's, if it's moved through my body, that I would simply be content and rejoice in the Lord. And I said, Lee... I could pray also for your healing. And I prayed. The doctor, because he's looking at the x-rays, even though he can't find the tumor, went ahead and operated, opened him up, couldn't find the tumor, closed him back up. That's been almost 20 years ago. And uh, he's never had cancer and never had that tumor. (laughs) Um, On rare occasions, God heals miraculously. Most times he uses medical science and our in-bone immune system. Uh, God's never, to my knowledge, answered one of my prayers uh, quite that overtly in terms of miraculous, where he seemed to suspend the laws of science. Um, I don't think it means that my other prayers for you all uh, and for others throughout the years have been defective. Uh, God has simply chosen, because He is sovereign, to answer my prayers differently. Um, In most cases, uh, thankfully for healing. Um, In other cases, uh, we've prayed for for people to be healed and they did not recover. God's in control. And this instance here where Jesus spits in the mud and uses the mud from his saliva to rub on this man's eyes, it's the only instance we have 
uh, of this particular method. There are other times that he did things similar, where he touched a person's eyes. But um, but this is the unique instance that we have recorded in the Bible. In other words, um, Jesus being the sovereign God uh, chooses which method He will use at any given moment. As we move through the passage, verses 8 through 12 are kind of comical. The people are debating whether the man who was healed was really the man who was healed. Which, that would seem like a logical thing to do. You know, the people are standing there and they're saying, Did you see so-and-so? He's up and walking around. He sees. Um... What if this is just someone else that looks like him? Well, that would be logical. The thing is, that's kind of comical, is he's right there while they're debating this. And the the passage says, um, he kept insisting, he kept saying, I am the man who was healed. And they're having a hard time believing it. Anyway, finally, apparently... They are convinced that this is the man who is healed. And so they immediately um, took him to the Pharisees. Uh, Verses 13 through 23 are frankly pretty sad. Verses 8 through 12, comical. Verses 13 through 23 are really sad. The Pharisees... We've seen before as we're moving through the Gospel of John, um, they hate Jesus. And they had made a rule that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, to be the Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Furthermore, Jesus intentionally healed this man on the Sabbath day. Look at verse 14. Verse 14, Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so this just further infuriates the Pharisees because they were, they were eager to conclude that Jesus was a sinner and therefore could not be the Messiah. But since the guys, the, the formerly blind man is sitting right there in front of them, they were confronted with a dilemma not easily solved. Finally, they called the man's parents. Okay, well, we'll call his parents uh, to see whether this indeed was their son who was born blind. They affirmed that he was their son, but then the Scripture says that they were too scared of the Pharisees to answer according to what they knew to be true. Look at verses 22 and 23. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. This man has been an outcast all his life. And he's been an outcast because of his blindness. Now that he has received his sight, how sad is it that his parents are rejecting him again out of fear of religious rejection. And then the story turns from being sad to being side-splittingly hilarious. 
um, the Pharisees still faced the, the, the dilemma of what to do with this man who's received his sight. So they called this man back in to, to appear before them. Look at verses 24 through 27. So for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, talking about Jesus. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though, or that though, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? I think that's great. This is one of my favorite uh, paragraphs in the Bible. And then the man's not finished. Look again at verses 28 through 33. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God... He could do nothing. And the Pharisees could not stand it any longer. They lashed out at Him with unreserved contempt. Look at verse 34. They answered Him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast Him out. Man has received his sight, but his status as an outcast has grown more complete. The greater irony, however, is found in the Pharisees' statement. When they told the man that he was, that he was born in utter sin, they were right. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, and this is David talking. Uh, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. However, when the, the Pharisees told him, you were born in utter sin, I can imagine that they were pointing at him. They didn't realize that they had three fingers pointing back at themselves. Um, their fingers also point at us. All of us were born as utter sinners. If you've not come to, to grip with, your, with this reality about yourself, that you are a sinner, that you were born into this world as a sinner, that you sin because you were a sinner, if you haven't come to grip this reality about yourself, you very likely view life from the standpoint of the Pharisees. If you haven't come to this, uh, to grips with this reality of your own sinfulness, you're, you're probably pretty quick to judge others. You're likely to view uh, um, yourself as being better than others. 
and likely speak ill of others very freely. You don't like correction. You blame others for your shortcomings. If you haven't fully come to grips with the biblical truth that all of us, since Adam, except for Jesus Christ, came into this world as sinners. Or as the Pharisees say it, as utter sinners. Let's dive a little bit deeper into this truth about the sinful condition into which we were born. Because we are born as utter sinners, we, like the man born blind, are outcast. We are outcast before the utterly righteous and holy God. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Our sinfulness excludes us from the presence of God. The Pharisees cast the man out of the synagogue. God, because of our sinfulness, cast us out of His presence. That's the lesson of Adam and Eve being removed from the Garden of Eden with that, that, that angel with the sword flashing back and forth so that they could not re-enter into God's presence. If God had not come for us, we would have never been allowed back into His presence. The good news is, God did come for us. He took the initiative. God's initiative is exemplified by Jesus. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast Him out, and having found Him, He said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? In other words, Jesus heard the man had been cast out of the synagogue. So Jesus went and found Him. Jesus came here to to this earth for us. He found us. He went to the cross for us. He became sin for us. He suffered the just penalty for our sins for us. In a word, He saved us. Some of you, I feel reasonably certain, feel some identification with the man born blind. And it's not surprising. We live in a broken world with broken souls. In our society, even though we turn on the TV and everybody likes celebrating those who have been who have been restored, really our society is very quick to create to create outcast, more quick to create outcast than they'd like to admit. And so if you're feeling like an outcast, let me remind you, Jesus seeks the outcast. Whether you feel like an outcast because of physical limitations or sickness or the burdensome effects of age or financial limitations or strain or even you feel like an outcast because of the things you've brought on uh, yourself. Jesus seeks the outcast and turns us into to borrow... um, or to piggyback on, on the Jason McElwain story. He turns us into champions. Listen to Psalm 113, 
The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust, and lifts the needy from the ash heap, and makes them to sit with princes, even the princes of His people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Because women in that society felt like outcasts if they could not have children. And then the psalm concludes, Praise the Lord. I will conclude by quoting an abbreviated version of the Beatitudes from Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, or he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You that though we were outcast, deservedly so, You sought us. You restored us. You sit us on seat with princes, even the princes of Your people. For though we were made a little lower than the angels, You have crowned us with glory and splendor Though we had lifted up our hand against You in rebellion, You sent Your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. We thank You that He came to seek the outcast. For such were we now. We're the children of God. Praise the Lord. Amen.